What's going on, everybody? Thank you so much for joining me here for our very special Wednesday edition of Fantasy MLB Today. We're a sports ethos presentation, of course, and I'm your host, Joe Orico. You can find me on Twitter. I'm at JoeOrico99, and you can find all of our podcasts, articles, and every bit of baseball content at Sports Ethos over at the Ethos Fantasy BB page. We're still posting daily content over there as we finish out the season. We got a special episode today. Like I said, we are having a guest on for the first time in, I feel like it's been more than a month. I've just had a crazy work schedule. Haven't been able to schedule as many guests as I've wanted to, but we're back with a bang today. We have a great guest here, someone that I was able to meet last year in Arizona and somebody that I was in a draft with in Arizona, uh, somebody who is very well respected and known in the fantasy baseball and the baseball community as well. Sarah Sanchez, how are you doing today? Thank you so much for joining me. Oh, thanks for that introduction, Joe. And thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here. What has been going on in your world? I've seen that you've recently been hooked up with another site. you got a, a few different affiliations going on. I want you to let everybody uh, know where you can be found because I know you got a, a ton of work out there. Yeah, I've been writing uh, and podcasting up a storm. So uh, you can find my Cubs stuff at bleedcubbyblue.com. It's the SB Nation Cubs site. I've written there for a few years now. Um, also the co-host of their podcast, which like many of the SB Nation podcasts migrated over to the Fans First Sports Network when SB Nation sort of axed their podcast crew. So that podcast still exists. It's just under a different moniker now. It's called Cup of Cubby Blue. And if you are interested in what's going on in the tight NL Central race or the wild card race, definitely check that out. We've got you covered almost every day, pretty much game by game with what's going on uh, with the Cubs over there at the Bleacher Bunch Network. And then I've been doing some fantasy content creation this year as well. I've been writing a column a week at Baseball HQ, their playing time tomorrow column for the NL East. Um, That's behind a paywall, but you should absolutely check it out. Great content over there at Baseball HQ. Started my own fantasy baseball podcast called What the Fab, which you can find by searching for the Fans First Sports Network Fantasy Baseball wherever you get your podcasts. And please uh like and subscribe to the show because it helps other people find it and then i just a couple weeks ago started um doing one article and a show a week with a new group called sportstopia which is a daily fantasy site looking uh we have a optimizer that helps you set your lineups helps you get the best results possible for those daily games that you can play through DraftKings, through FanDuel, that type of stuff and so playing around with that a little bit hoping i can help people learn how to take advantage of those tools and that opportunity. And it's been really fun. Super busy. <laughs> you got the real baseball side. You got the fantasy baseball side. DFS. Is it strictly DFS at Sportstopia? It's not strictly DFS, but it's starting with DFS stuff. So we should have a bunch of um, regular roto draft content and mock drafts and those types of things at the start of next season. They were trying to get launched before the start of the NFL season. So it's kind of hard to launch a ton of great roto content mid season. So Focusing on the uh, daily side of things with our content there for right now, but I do have a hunch that there will be quite a bit. Uh, you know, we'll have our own lists, our own uh, roto mock drafts, our own head-to-head advice, those types of things as we get set up for next season. So it's been busy, it's been fun, uh, and I am in lots of places at the moment. This is a tough time of year to be putting out baseball content at all, let alone a new entity putting out content. I can definitely attest to that. Uh, as the year goes on, you know, January, February, March, you see those downloads and those views just skyrocket and then they slowly tail off towards the end of the year. But you guys have got some great talent over there. It seems like every day there's a new face that I know uh, Torres takes recently. A good friend of mine recently signed up over there as well. So definitely worth checking out all of Sarah's work and go support the new venture as well. Sports Topia HQ. It looks like uh, it's going to be a lot of great people there. It looks like they're going to be putting out some great content. Now, we're going to talk about a few different things today. We're going to be talking about our teams a little bit. We were in a draft together before the season. We've both done pretty well in that league, all things considered. Uh, Steve Weimer's been lapping the field, but everybody else has been, you know, I think we've been all right, uh, keeping keeping pace a little bit there. And then, of course, uh, we have Sarah here, so we are going to talk a hell of a lot of Cubs. But let's start off with your teams, your fantasy teams this season, Sarah. How have you done so far? Where you have any big wins or big losses in terms of your drafting, in terms of your fab? How has the season looked as a whole for you? You know, honestly, I've had a couple of teams that have really struggled and I've pulled them out of the basement, which is not an easy thing to do. Like when you have something go wrong on draft day. So, for example, I am the returning champion of GLARF, which is part of the Earth Network, the Great Lakes Area Roto Fantasy League. And I am not going to I'm not going to repeat. I would I would venture a guess. I uh, spent the bulk of the start of that season in like 14th, 15th place. I had drafted Reese Hoskins, my backup first baseman was Matt Mervis. I was like scrounging on the waiver wire for that. I had Corey Seager as my shortstop. 
I lost him for six weeks. I was trying to replace him with like a hodgepodge of Edmundo Sosa and Mauricio Dubon and like whatever I could find on the waiver wire at the middle infielder spot that managed to crawl back up into 10th, 11th there, hoping I can finish in the middle of the pack. That will make me pretty happy. And then uh, I'm hanging out near the top of Tout Wars. I think I'm fifth going into today, but there's about nine points that separates one to five and it fluctuates a lot daily. So been in second or third there as recently as a couple of weeks ago and still still grinding there to see how that goes. That's a 12-team mixed league that uses different categories. So we use on-base percentage instead of average. We use innings pitched instead of wins. And we use saves and holds instead of just saves. And honestly, if I were setting up a fantasy league tomorrow, it would be that format, 100% 10-10 recommend. That's one of the things I think is cool. I'm not in Tout Wars, hopefully somewhere down the line, but it seems like they got a lot of very uh, unique different formats that they try out and experimental different things like you're talking about there. Not that it's so, uh, you know, a lot of fancy players use saves plus holds, but I think that it is a nice little change as opposed to the usual 15-team roto, everything. You know, they got mixed leagues, they got AL, NL only, points leagues, head-to-head. I think it's very cool uh, the way it's all set up over there. In terms of your, like, big wins, did you have any late picks that you, you know, focused in on a couple of drafts that were big winners for you or maybe guys you drafted on a lot of teams that you you mentioned Reese Hoskins um what were the you know the the big like big losers (laughs) yeah um that's a great question uh thinking back to draft season give me a second let me pull up a couple of (laughs) these rosters I mean I had a handful of guys that I was in on that seemed to work out okay I picked up a a decent amount of Will Smith down in Texas uh pretty late and he was a pretty solid closer for a while there, and especially in a saves holds league, uh, Will Smith has been outstanding. But even if you just had him in a saves league, like he was great until they traded for Raldis Chapman, exactly what you want um, from a late round pick like that. A couple of other guys that I managed to get almost everywhere. I have a lot of Alex Verdugo. Um, Alex Verdugo has been, he's, he's on the, he's day to day right now with a little bit of a hamstring issue, but if you should look at what Alex Verdugo has done this season. It's exactly what you expect from Alex Verdugo, maybe a little bit on the plus side. Um, Ariel Cohen and I were talking about this recently and he's just such a high floor player. He, he goes out every day. He's probably going to hit 260. He's going to have a little bit of power. He's going to have a little bit of speed. He's going to stay in the lineup. He's always going to bat towards the top of that Red Sox lineup. And so you can just get, I love getting Alex Verdugo. I have him both in Tout Wars and I have him, I think, in the uh, draft and hold that we're in together. And I definitely have him in a couple of other spots too. Um, And then uh, Orlando Arcia in a couple of spots. I I actually kind of split the difference here. So I did have some leagues where I picked up Von Grissom instead of Orlando Arcia. And so I'm not going to say that I guessed that one correctly. I did not, but I made a strategic decision to invest in both players and that has paid off quite a bit i i think vaughn grissom might be my biggest miss of the year i ranked him as like my 10th second baseman coming into the season he's had 75 at bats did not have one home run or steal this year it's kind of crazy but it just speaks to the depth i think that they have there they weren't totally sure about him on the defensive side of things but orlando arcia has been great um, you know, in terms of my hits and misses, I think Tanner Scott, it's kind of a weird one, but especially in a couple of drafts and holds where he was just kind of like a 30th something round pick. And now he is really paying off. Uh, James Outman was somebody that I thought was going to be a huge win. And I guess it is to some extent. He's kind of tailed off a little bit. Uh, but yeah, it's definitely, there's definitely a lot of hits and misses if you go through all your drafts. I don't know how many drafts you did. I did about eight or nine. So you're going to have a lot of wins and a lot of misses. How many leagues are you in this year, Sarah? Oh, my God. Too many. And I need to pair this back next year. Okay. So I'm looking at my NFBC page right now. And I have the um, draft and hold that we did. I did three of the Gladiator drafts. And I actually have one of those where I'm sitting in second in my league right now. I've been bouncing back and forth between second and first there. So we'll see if I can make my money back on that one and then i've got um an auction championship there i'm in tgfbi like so many of our amazing friends and writers in the industry and then glarf of course which is the earth league that i referenced before i am in an odd new league for the first time this year uh derek van riper and the keeper cut guys got together some podcasters to start the podcasters odd new league that's a 12 team uh, out of new and I'd never done that before so that's a whole new like keeper auction salary cap there's an arbitration system that I'm sure I'll learn over the off season that's been a lot of fun playing with some really great friends from the fantasy community we've got tout wars 
which is obviously hugely important. And then I've also got like four friends and family leagues. So SB Nation writers have a league that's just a head-to-head uh, 12-team league that we play over on Yahoo. Um, I've got, and then I've got my leagues that I've been in since, you know, for time immemorial. <laughs> yeah. I've got, I think, I think it's nine. I did two draft champions. I did TGFBI. I am in the Canadian version of the Earth Leagues, the Surf League. Uh, we're not going to talk about how I'm doing there. Uh, and then I'm in a main event qualifier. And then I'm in a gladiator. Gladiator formats, I wish I did more. They are so much fun. I, they can be infuriating. Uh, the one I did was a second half gladiator that we did at the All-Star break. So I had Tyler Wells on that team. Uh, Luis Garcia for the Nationals. There are some players that got sent down. Uh, so it, it is kind of tricky, but everybody's in the same kind of boat where you might, and especially at the beginning of the year, if you're picking, I don't know when they started them in January, maybe, but you really have no idea what's going to happen, especially with no bench, no moves in season. And you want to talk about having no idea what's going to happen. The draft we did in, in November, I think that was, it was my first draft of the year. I'm assuming that was your first draft of the year as well. Oh, yeah. There was nothing that we could do in terms of knowing the board or ADP or anything like that. But I think, you know, we've done pretty well. I'm in third in that league. You're in sixth, I think. Yes. Not bad. Um, it's compared, like I said, off the top, Steve Weimer has been lapping the field the entire year. He's got 127 roto points. Uh, everybody else is kind of fighting for second there. But considering how early we drafted that league, how do you feel that you did? Considering we didn't really have much knowledge of anything at that point, you have your you know your preconceived ideas of players, but we don't really have the spring training the whole winter to see how they're going to do if they're going to get hurt or not. Uh, how do you feel you did in that draft and then the league as a whole? Well, it's interesting because I realized that partway through this draft that I was drafting it off, like half of my information was going looking ahead and half of it was looking backwards. Mm. And so I definitely have some 2022 um, draft values in this draft that I had to like kind of adjust on the fly. I actually think I did okay, though, even with that. It means I took a couple of guys higher than they probably should have gone. Like, I think I took Xander Bogarts too early, but having Xander Bogarts has been fine, um, particularly because I need a backup shortstop in this one, since I also had Wander Franco in this oh, league, which that hurts um, a lot on multiple levels. Uh, honestly, you know, the trick with these types of leagues, you have a really deep bench, and you're just trying to get guys who are going to play and be able to cycle in and out. And from that perspective, I think I did okay. So for example, at catcher, I, I made sure I had one stud catcher. I've had Adley Rutschman. He's been great all season. Christian Vasquez is kind of my stalwart backup. And then I opted for Jose Trevino and Sebi Zavala as my uh, two backup catchers to those catchers in case anything happened there. And, you know, Trevino's hurt. Uh, Zavala is not. So I have a guy in case anything happens to my catchers. I really look at those drafts as making sure that you have all of your bases covered for a long season. And, you know, like I wasn't, I was upset to lose Anthony Rizzo in that league. We just found out that he is done for the season dealing with post-concussion syndromes. And so I kind of struggled there, but Ty France has been okay. The Mariners are kind of coming on hot right now. So I'm not losing too much there. I do have Lamont Wade Jr. on my bench there and I can play him on platoon heavy weeks. And he's pretty good when the Giants are facing the right-handedness of pitcher. So I felt like I did okay in the draft. I've been able to put out a healthy lineup at the start of each week, even if it hasn't stayed healthy every single week. Yeah. Um, but I was definitely stronger in that particular league at earlier in the season than I was later in the season. I've been, I've been riddled with injuries. What about you? I, I'm in third. I have about 103, 102 and a half roto points. I think it's probably honestly, maybe my best league because I did get a little bit lucky with certain things. Uh, some of my later round picks that I had no idea if they're going to pan out or not. They actually look pretty good um jd davis was somebody i got in round 34 and then james outman in round 35 so they've been productive at times not throughout the entire year but it's kind of the you know the nature of a draft champion it's my first year doing nfbc leagues first year doing a draft my first ever draft champion draft that we did there you just need to have that depth and the players aren't going to perform for you every single week a lot of them like i mentioned tanner scott there was a lot of the year where if it was a redraft league tanner scott would have been dropped a long time ago but now he is the marlins closer he was somebody i got in the 32nd round and now he's having value uh it is really like i got craig kimbrell in the 25th round when i picked him i didn't think there was going to be much there i thought okay he's a handcuff for alvarado or for somebody else i didn't think that he was actually going to be given the role but has panned out my process was you know my thought process was kind of wrong but the results have kind of worked out there so i love the format i love the format of not having to worry about fab because i'm fairly poor at fab 
again, first year doing NFBC. I've done like Yahoo Fab Leagues where you have $100 in Fab, but it's not the same kind of animal at all. When you're talking about everybody on Sunday putting out their articles and you got podcasts and everybody talking about it, and everybody knows who the big players are. If you're in a, a home league where you're doing Fab, maybe some of the players subscribe to HQ or RotoWire or something. A lot of them probably don't in your home league. So you do have a little bit of an advantage there. But I love the format. I love the NFBC. I really do uh, in my first year playing it. I don't like how sometimes you get some people who think that the NFBC is like the be-all and end-all of fantasy because it's a very small percentage of overall leagues. But I love uh, being being a part of it. I don't know. It feels like you're more in the community if you're in the NFBC leagues. Maybe I'm crazy there, but it feels like that's what a lot of content is geared to. That's what a lot of people will talk about. And it is a lot of fun uh, drafting in these deeper formats for sure. So it is a fun league. We're all fighting for second behind Steve Weimer because he is just blown away the competition. Uh, and it's funny too. I remember Frank Stample was in that league as well from CBS. And he said before the draft started, Steve had told him, yeah, I've won this league every year. It's existed so far. And we were thinking, oh, my God, OK, we have we have not really much of a chance here. You never know. Uh, but Steve has absolutely blown us all away there. Let's talk some Cubs. Let's talk about your favorite subject in the world, I would imagine. Although I know you're kind of a Red Sox fan, too, aren't you? Yeah, I lived in Boston for seven years and the Cubs and Red Sox are kindred spirits with the long championship droughts and the historic ballparks and the history and all that jazz. So uh, the Red Sox are my AL team. If there were ever a conflict between the Red Sox and the Cubs, all things being equal, I would be cheering for the Cubs. If they were in a World Series matchup together, I guess that would be your kind of. That's the <laughs> that's through. the dream. That is the dream World Series right there. Almost happened in 2003. 2003. Goes that was the Bartman year for the Cubs. And it was oh. the year that the Red Sox were also chasing down their hopes and dreams. There was a there was a minute where it looked like the Red Sox and Cubs might meet up in the World Series and. I'm just saying if that ever happens, I'm taking a month off of work. So I might do some podcasts like remote on location, but my day job is going to need to give me some time off. Oh, I think they would probably give you some leeway if they know you the way that the fantasy world does. I'm sure they would. Now, the Cubs are two and a half back in the central right now. I think there's a very good chance that they do maintain their playoff spot. They're three up in the wild card right now. How confident are you that come October 2nd, the Cubs are going to still have games on the schedule? You know, what's really interesting about what the Cubs are doing right now is that since August 1st, they started at they started the month of August at 500. They were 53 and 53. They have just been on a tear since then. They're currently 11 games over 500. But the last three series that they have played were not only like must win series because of who they were playing, but they were the, the teams that they have to beat in order to either win the division or win the wild card. And they're only in the middle of that. So uh, I wrote a piece like, like last week, maybe, maybe a couple days before last week. But the, um, the, the gist of it was the Cubs have a ton of games left on their schedule at the time against the Brewers, the Reds. They're playing the Giants right now. They've taken two of three there so far. Uh, it looks like they're up three up, three nothing in the second here. So that's good stuff. Um, They've got the Diamondbacks coming to town next. They have all their games against the Diamondbacks left. They have not played the Diamondbacks at all. So they have seven games head-to-head -head against the Diamondbacks. Got three more games head-to-head -head against the Brewers. The Cubs have a really unique opportunity here where they have to beat the teams that are ahead of them. Period. The end. You beat those teams, you will win the wild card or the division. And you don't beat those teams, you go home. And so going into that stretch of games, I was just sort of like, well, you control your own destiny, right? Like you start messing around. <laughs> the Reds are going to catch you. The Brewers are going to pull away, but they haven't. They took two or three from the Brewers. They split the series with the Reds. Um, I kind of wish they had won one more game there because right now the Reds hold the tiebreaker there if they catch the Cubs in the wild card standings. Um, they, you know, they've won two of three against the Giants here. They're leading the Giants early here today. Jordan Wicks has looked really good. It was a great call up by them. He has a shot today to become the first Cubs pitcher in history to win his first three starts, uh, which has that's never happened in the hundred plus year history of the franchise. And so that's one of those, when are you get to things that have never happened in a hundred plus years? Those are always interesting things. And so it's just been a lot of fun. It's been very cool to see this team rise to the occasion. And I hope they don't take their foot off the gas when they're playing the Rockies, because I, it, it seems like that is the one risk to this team right now. They get so amped these series against the Giants and the Diamondbacks and the Reds and the Brewers and then all of a sudden it's the Rockies and the Pirates and you still have to win those games so I'm optimistic but we'll see
Joe, I think you're muted. There we go. It's time. I haven't had a guest in a while, so there you go. No, um, you're good. It happens. Um, my Blue Jays just went into Colorado for a weekend series, and it does seem like teams, you know, you go and you play down to that kind of competition sometimes, which can be dangerous. Toronto did lose one of those games kind of unnecessarily. Uh, the Blue a big lead. And, uh, you know, maybe that's something that teams – I mean, it is definitely something that teams need to focus more on. Toronto is still currently – in that down stretch of the schedule here, Oakland and Kansas City, you need to beat those teams. And that's obviously like super important. Now, the Cubs do have, uh, I think there's one series against the Braves left as well. But other than that, it's not a terribly difficult rest of season schedule. Like Arizona comes and goes. You never know what you're going to get from them on any given day. Are they going to be, you know, the, the high powered Arizona? Is it going to be gallon pitching? Is it going to be Seawald, you know, properly closing out games because he's been a little bit shaky? Then you got the Pirates, you got the Rockies again, you got the Braves, which is going to be tough. But then the Brewers, it's not a terrible rest of season schedule in terms of the strength. I personally think the Cubs will get in. And I think that there's even a decent chance maybe they surpass the Brewers for the division. Do you think that's likely that they come away as the division winner? Or do you think that you guys are more than likely not going to be a wildcard team? I mean, I think they can catch the Brewers. I don't know if they will. The Brewers have a two and a half game lead in the division right now. The Cubs and Brewers have played each other fairly evenly this entire year. Um, the last three games of the season are going to be the Cubs facing the Brewers at Wrigley North. I'm going to see if I can head up to Milwaukee with some friends and cheer on. It, we we take over that park. Like there's there's all sorts of like Wisconsin only sales tricks that they try to do to keep fans from Chicago out of the park that I will always call Miller Park. But um, the so that'll be a really interesting series. They certainly have a shot. If that series started today, you win that series, you win the division. But I, we'll see what happens. The Brewers are a very good end-of-season team. They tend to kick it into gear in August and September. So I like the fact that the Cubs are sitting in the second wild card right now. It feels like they have some a chance to make the postseason without necessarily catching the Brewers, but there's an outside shot they could catch the Brewers. What I love really is just looking at these fan graphs, playoff odd graphs each morning. And it is wild to see, you know, the Cubs went from on July 20th, they had a 6.3% chance to make the playoffs. So we're not even talking about the division here. We're just talking about the playoffs themselves. And that is up to 88%, which is a beautiful thing to see. That is, that is beautiful. I don't even really want to look with my Jays to be honest, because they're just, they're very inconsistent, the Blue Jays. I'm not sure how much uh, how much you followed the Jays down there, but they're a team that was looking like they were going to be a 100-win team coming into the season, and it's been very disappointing. Bichette's been injured. Vladdy has disappointed. Everybody seems like they've disappointed. Uh, so you guys seem to be trending up. My Jays seem to be kind of trending, I don't know, at best on a on a straight line at this point. Um, but I had a little bit of upward momentum for the last few days. You're at 68.3%. I mean, we're playing Oakland. I should hope we have a little bit of momentum going up. But Chris Bassett was was amazing <laughs> today. But if you can't take care of Oakland, you don't deserve to to make it to the dance. I don't think at this point, uh, the way that they have performed. But we'll we'll have to see with the Blue Jays. Uh, let's keep it going with the Cubs though. And Justin Steele, Justin Steele is somebody that I like to some extent. Like I liked him a lot last year as a pickup coming into the season. I thought that he was a very reasonably priced guy in the middle rounds. I never expected to see a Cy Young caliber season from him. Uh, do you think that he is going to come away with some hardware this year? Or is it going to be more Snell, Strider, Gallon? Like, where are you leaning? I know you probably have your biases here, but do you think it's actually going to be Justin Steele? I hear a lot of people saying that they think he will win the award. Well, so I wrote about this yesterday, and my piece was titled, Justin Steele deserves your Cy Young consideration. I think if I had a ballot today and I had to vote, I would probably put Strider just ahead of Justin Steele because they've got a very similar number of innings. They both have 16 wins. They're both playing for playoff teams uh, and they're the aces of those playoff teams. And while Justin Steele has a lower ERA by about 1.01 runs, uh, at least last time I looked at, and that might change by the time people are listening to this because Strider's pitching today. Um, Spencer Strider just strikes out a ton more guys. And I think that the people who have those ballots care a lot about missing bats and Justin Steele doesn't miss as many bats as what Spencer Strider does. That said, what Justin Steele is doing is particularly remarkable because he's a two pitch guy who is not a stuff darling. Yeah. He's basically consistently missing bats and generating weak contact against some of the best hitters in baseball with two pitches that he just locates and sequences incredibly well. And the fact that he can get through seven, eight innings uh, of work with two pitches 
is kind of remarkable in, a, in and of itself. The fact that he can do that with the lowest home run per fly ball rate among qualified pitchers in the National League is frankly incredible. And the fact that he can do that while he has gone at least uh, five innings in every start since June 17th, and 11 of those starts have been quality starts. That's 14 starts in a row. It's unbelievable. I was there the other night when he put up 12 strikeouts across eight innings against the Giants. That was an 88-degree night where the wind was blowing out at Wrigley, and you would not have known it from looking at the box score because both Justin Steele and Logan Webb came to play, and Justin Steele walked away the winner with an eight-inning strikeout or an eight-inning shutout for, honestly, the best game he's ever pitched. I am definitely in the Strider camp, but I feel like the voters, I don't know how much they're going to dig into the advanced stats and how much should they really dig into the advanced stats because the Cy Young Awards MVP Rick of the Year they're results based, right? They're not based on XFIP and Sierra and those and stuff plus. The results have been, if we're just looking at ERA, which is the results, he has a you know, like you said, a run, a full run lower in terms of his ERA than Strider. Now Strider does lead him in all of the, you know, the expected and Sierras and strikeout rates and everything like that. I'm just not sure how about how much the average Hall of Fame voter is going to dig into that, or if they're just gonna go look at MLB.com and look at you know, wins, strikeouts, and ERA. And, you know, wins are are in wash at this point. Strikeouts are obviously strider. ERA is steel by a good margin. And then you have Blake Snell in there. Zach Allen's kind of fallen off a little bit recently. But I do think that Justin Steele does have a chance just because of, I don't even want to say the lack of, I guess I, we don't really know. I don't, I don't honestly don't know what goes into this voting process. If there was... Maybe there's some more, you know, newer, you know, Eno Saris, I believe Eno has votes for, I know he votes for the Hall of Fame. I'm not sure if Eno votes for these kind of awards. I'm sure Eno isn't one who would look at just ERA. Some of those older guys in their 70s and 80s, maybe they would. I'm really not sure. Do you have any more insight on that, on the actual voting? Yeah, so basically it's the members of the Baseball Writers Association of America, and you're absolutely right. Eno, one of our friends, uh, has one of those votes. Um, they get assigned to a pool that they're going to vote for that year. So not every writer votes on every award. Some of them vote on Rookie of the Year. Some of them get Cy Young. Some of them get MVP. Uh, some of them get Manager of the Year. It. I, I don't know how they're assigned. I, my assumption is that they're random, but I could be wrong about that. But they don't all vote on every award. And so it's really a little bit dependent on who has the Cy Young National yeah. League ballots, right? Like if you have a lot of sabermetrician types, they're going to care a lot about stuff and they're going to care a lot about strikeouts and they're going to be more impressed with what Spencer Strider has done than they are with just what Justin Steele has done. If you have, like you said, some of the old school people who are just looking at the box score, looking at what a guy has accomplished over the year, Justin Steele has a lower ERA and he has the exact same number of wins. Uh, I think that he's thrown six fewer innings than Spencer Strider, although frankly, that's as close enough margin that that could change over the course of the next four starts. Uh, for either one of them. And the last thing I'll say there is Justin Steele has a remarkable body of work in that he really has not been blown up this season at all. There was one game against the Red Sox where they put up a five spot, but that uh, those that got changed to an error after the fact. It definitely was an error. I was at that game. Nico Horner made makes that play 99 times out of 100 and they had originally scored it a hit. That's the last time he gave up anything resembling a crooked number in an inning. And if you go back and look at just his game log from July 1st of last year on, it is one of the most impressive things you can see. It's just like six innings, one run, eight strikeouts, five innings, one run, 10 strikeouts. It's just like over and over and over again, Justin Seal getting it done. And more recently, his five innings have turned into six innings or seven innings. And then this eight inning gem that he pitched against the Giants earlier this week. Yeah, it's incredibly impressive considering he's not an overpowering type. He's just, low, like you said, locating beautifully, not getting blown up. Where my guy Strider, he is prone to the blow up. Strider, you know, there was that famous one uh, when the NFBC site went down on the Monday. Strider pitching against Pittsburgh for a two-step. You know, 100% of people who own Strider are going to start him. He allows six earned runs on the Monday. A lot of people took him out of their lineups, but that's, you know, besides the point. There's been four earned runs, six earned runs, five earned runs, five earned runs. Uh, against the Mets earlier this year, eight earned runs. So he does offset that with seven shutout innings of 12 strikeout ball. But if you're looking for somebody who's been, you know, if the average voter is looking for just that consistency, it would not shock me if Justin Steele wins. I do think that Strider is a better pitcher, 
But in terms of their body of work this season, Steel has a, a legitimate case, and it's going to be interesting to see down the stretch here. First of all, if either of them can get the 20 wins, if they have a hot stretch here down the, la- down the, the last month of the season, they have 16 wins apiece. They win four in a row. I think there's probably four or five starts left for each of these guys. Could get the 20. So that could also be a deciding factor. If one of them gets the 20 wins, that's usually a, a very flashy number that the voters like to look at. Um, in terms of this offseason, you guys have a few key free agents. Cody Bellinger, obviously the big one. Uh, Stroman, I think, has a player option. And then uh, Kyle Hendricks and Jan Gomes, I think it might be a, a mutual or maybe they're UFAs. You would definitely know better than I would. Um, what do you think is the likelihood of these guys going back, specifically Bellinger? Because he's one of the bigger profile free agents this year, the way he has rejuvenated his career. Are the Cubbies going to pay the price tag to bring him back and the rest of these guys? So I think that the Cubs would love to bring back Bellinger. And I think that this is maybe the most fascinating question of their offseason from my perspective. I They love him uh, at the corner of Clark and Addison, and he seems to be enjoying his time in Chicago as well. It's clear that the change of scenery helped him a ton. He is back to what we saw him as when he was MVP Bellinger. That said, there's a couple of things that are a little concerning in the underlying numbers for Bellinger. And I've been keeping tabs on this because I, I want to believe in Cody Bellinger as much as anyone else. The barrel rate is the lowest of his career and, and not by a small amount, by, by a pretty wide margin. Um, the hard hit rate is down a bit as well. Uh, he's doing this by, he basically slashed his K rate to what it was when he was the MVP in 2019 and sometimes a little bit lower. If you watch him play for any number of games, you can see it. He's not always looking to hit for power. He'll hit for power to the pool side. And then he'll just kind of like, I think they called it on yesterday's broadcast, but he'll like seven iron a little wedge shot over to the opposite field to, to drive in runs. And he has been driving in runs. I mean, one of the things that I like to say on Twitter these days is uh, you can't spell Bellinger without RBI because he is just driving in runs all of the time. So It'll be interesting to see. I think he's going to get himself $100 million. I don't know that it's going to be on the upward end of that. Like, I don't think he's going to exceed Dansby's deal. For example, I think the Cubs might be in at that price, but I honestly don't know what other teams are going to do there. I'm I'm sure the Yankees will have some interest in Cody Bellinger. I'm sure some other teams will have some interest as well. He is a Scott Boris client. So it'll be interesting to see if he opts to stay with the team that sort of helped him get reset. Or if he decides to take a slightly bigger paycheck somewhere else, because Chicago can match those other teams. But oftentimes, Jed Hoyer likes to be a little bit more frugal than that. The other complicating factor there for the Cubs, Pete Crow Armstrong is looming in AAA. He hit an oppo grand slam yesterday. He's just been an absolute beast. And that dude can play center field. He is the center fielder of the future. So at that point, you're signing Cody Bellinger as a first baseman. You're not signing Cody Bellinger as your center fielder of the future. I think that's okay, but it's worth keeping an eye on that because that then what do you do with Matt Mervis? Who let's not forget that Matt Mervis exists and is wonderful and hits bombs. <laughs> I love him coming into the year. Uh, I drafted him in a few places. Obviously, it hasn't been the year he was expecting to have, but looking forward, he's the guy they want to have at first. You'd imagine they could put Bellinger at first. They could platoon Bellinger and um, and Mervis a first base DH kind of thing. Maybe put Bellinger in a corner outfield spot. I'm really not sure. Uh, what their plan is, but for sure Bellinger is going to get paid. I think a hundred million dollars might even be like a baseline. Uh, he's been a for, I mean, I've looked at everything from a fantasy point of view, which probably to a fault, but he's been a first round fantasy player this year. He, it's a, he it's, has it's, been, he has been, but I, I do think that he, the pay, the payday is going to be muted a little bit by some of those numbers under the hood. Cause I can't be the only person who's looking at a six or a 6% barrel rate and noticing that that's like half of the traditional Cody yeah. Bellinger MVP barrel right now. The results speak for themselves. It looks great, right? But so that'll be an interesting question for sure. You mentioned a couple of other players there. Jan Gomes's option is a club option. I am 100% certain that the Cubs are going to exercise said club option. The If you listen to a marquee sports network broadcast, it oftentimes sounds like Jan Gomes propaganda, which I am particularly sensitive to because Wilson Contreras is my favorite player. There's nothing to do with disliking Jan Gomes. He's a fine catcher. He's great with the pitching staff. And I just dislike the fact that he is slightly worse at everything offensively than my favorite player of all time. And that the Cubs opted for the guy who was slightly worse at everything. Um, but Jan has a club option. I think he's going to stick around um, for at least another year. 
Kyle Hendricks, I believe, is a mutual option. I could be wrong about that. I was trying to look it up while we were chatting before, but I can I can double check. Stroman is particularly interesting, though, because Stroman is a player option. And I, if you had asked me this question in June, I would have told you that Stroman is opting out and going to try his luck on the free agent market. And that was before he blew up for eight starts after the London series and then got shut down uh, with a little... I think it was like a hip or oblique issue and now a fracture in his rib cartilage. And he is throwing again in Arizona, but I don't know how sure I am that he's going to opt out of that final year of his deal anymore. It seemed like a foregone conclusion in June and it doesn't seem like a foregone conclusion in September. Yeah. It's 21 million for the player option. Hendricks is a club option for 16 million. Um, I think, I don't know. That seems a little pricey to pay for Kyle Hendricks at this point. Maybe he's going to be 34 going into next year. Stroman, I think he was on the way. Like Stroman was in those early season Cy Young conversations that we were having, uh, you know, up until about the All Star break. And even if you look at the whole body of work this year, even with those, you know, last month or so, even beyond being terrible, he's still a three eight five ERA, one two four WHIP. Maybe he does get paid. Maybe he stays around. I think it's more likely than not he opts back in and takes the twenty one million. The thing with Bellinger that I just kind of you know dawned on me is I think it's kind of a similar argument to the whole awards voting thing. It's a matter of the actual you know like look at the Yankees right. The Yankees are not known for being terribly analytic. They are you know they hired Sean Casey as their hitting coach. And we've heard, we've heard some certain things that are like are they really looking under the hood that much? I could see the Yankees offering Cody Bellinger a huge payday without really digging too deep because they're not a team that we usually see dig that deep. Now there are certain front offices that are very analytical. Are they going to dig a little deeper, take a few bucks off the price tag? I think the fact that there are really not that many great free agents this year might lead to that being inflated a little bit. And also depending on the team need, I've heard my Blue Jays talked about as maybe being a Bellinger potential destination. We could use another left-handed bat. Toronto's somewhat analytical. I don't know that we would look into something like that and, and take money off the table. And I think it does come back to how deep the class is of free agents. Like if it was last year, I think Bellinger makes a lot less than he does this year. But coming off the year he does, or coming off the year that he has had, I'm really not sure what the deal is going to look like, but he's only, what, 27, Bellinger? 28? Yeah, super young. <laughs> so he's probably going to get, I don't know, do you think he is potential to get one of those 10-year deals, one of those eight, 10-year contracts? Do you think this will be more on the short term for him, wherever he goes? Do you think that he's more likely to lock himself in for the rest of his career? He just turned 28 years old. I think that Scott Boris would like to lock him in for the rest <laughs> of his career. I mean, this is this is the problem with Cody Bellinger. Cody Bellinger has put up, some of the most remarkable seasons we've seen in the last six years yeah, and some of the worst seasons we've seen in the last six years. And the underlying metrics indicate that he could, that part of this is fixed and part of it might not be. And so what happens to Cody Bellinger in a slightly different ballpark where he's not able to like get some of those hits to fall um, just by like those little wedge shot types of things. It seems like the new shift rules have benefited him tremendously. His approach at the plate looks great. He's not striking out very much at all at the moment. I think the last time I looked at his strikeout rate, it was like 17%, but I'll double check myself here. 15.7% as of uh, this conversation. I mean, he's really cut that K rate down significantly, but he's done it without some of the hard hit baseballs that we're used to. And that works when you're fast enough to run like Cody Bellinger can run at 27, 28, 29 years old. I don't know how that works when Cody Bellinger is 37. So I don't know how much teams are going to want to invest in 37-year-old Bellinger, given that they've already seen what it looks like when he falls off a cliff. And some of the benefits and some of the things that he is able to do right now are not things he's necessarily going to be able to do in 10 years. That said, Bellinger just drove in another run because you <laughs> can't spell Bellinger without RBI. I, I think he's a very, very tricky case because he has performed. We saw him win MVP with the Dodgers, the highest profile, you know, outside of maybe the Yankees organization that there is. He can do it under the spotlight. He's shown it, but maybe he decides to go back to Chicago because there's, you know, some connection with a coach or he likes the culture or he credits them for rejuvenating his career and he wants to reward them in some in some way. I think this is going to be the one of the bigger questions, not just of the Cubs offseason, but of Major League Baseball's offseason. Where does Cody Bellinger go? What does the price tag look like for probably the marquee free agent on the market? I mean, Matt Chapman might have been that name a few months ago, but he has just I've been awful. I think Matt Chapman has 50 RBIs this year. So he is not somebody I think that's going to get 
anywhere close to what Bellinger is going to get. I think that he's probably going to be the highest, I mean, outside of Otani, the highest paid uh, free agent. But it's going to be a lot of fun uh, to see where Bellinger goes. And I feel just on a human level, you got to you got to feel good for the guy. He was somebody who at yeah. 24 years old, won an MVP under the bright lights and then just fell off a cliff and to see him get that back. And, you know, even Christian Yelich to a lesser extent had a similar career path. MVP kind of down a couple of years and now he's kind of back in that same place. So it's good to see those young guys not, you know, fully go off and be obsolete after a couple of seasons. It's good to see Bellinger and Yelich both uh, back to produce in the way we expected. I mean, not even expect, I think this is well beyond expectations at this point. I think Bellinger's like 14th on the player Raider, which is just ridiculous. If you're able to draft him this year, you paid nothing for him and he's been maybe the best player on your team. Um, to take this back to fantasy a little bit, this is the last couple weeks of the season. What would you tell people who are trying to stay competitive and maybe win their leagues down the stretch? What's the best pieces of advice that you could give to people who are maybe third or fourth in their league trying to you know, maintain uh, where they are for, for cashing or trying to win or people in head-to-head playoffs? How would you just recommend staying competitive down the stretch? Don't change your process and put as much time into fab in your lineups as you did in May and September. And I, I am like a example of this working last season in Glarf. I was sitting in like third, fourth, fifth place for most of September. Um, and I just wanted to stay competitive. I, you know, had like my $50 of fab left and I was spending it on my pitcher changes or making injury replacements or whatever. I think I spent my last $7 of fab on the half week for Yusei Kikuchi so that I could just get him in there in case he was doing, in case he got like, a middle relief appearance and vulture to win wins were super tight in Glarf last year. And I went into the final day, six and a half points back, just hoping that I would finish in the top three wound up winning the league on the final day. Uh, Kikuchi did vulture a win that day. Clayton Kershaw got a win as well. Marco Gonzalez did not get a win despite pitching seven innings of one run baseball for the Mariners that day, because the Mariners were down two when he left the game. And I remember doing the math in my head and realizing that I had like, jumped three people and made up this many points and that many points. And the only game that was outstanding was uh, the Mets game, which had been delayed. Jenny Butler had Daniel Vogelbach on her team. And I spent the last two hours of the regular season last year, just praying Daniel Vogelbach would not score a run because that was the difference in Glark between Jenny winning the league and me winning the league. And I made up six and a half points on in one day, just by staying diligent, and making sure that I was watching the categories that could move and spending my fab dollars wisely. Now, is that going to happen necessarily? No, like that's a super, like that's an outlier event, right? Like if you think of fantasy baseball as a bell curve, this is in the very small corner of the bell curve, but there's a chance. And if you don't stay active, you will never know <laughs> if you could have done that, right? There are people in all of these leagues, and the, whether it's the NFBC or your home league, there are people who spent all of their fab months ago they can't make those dollar pitcher moves. They can't make those dollar hitter moves. Like they're going to lose a guy to injury and they're not going to be able to replace that person. They started playing, paying attention to football and they're not making lineup moves anymore. They don't know that Alex Verdugo hasn't been playing all week. And so they're just like not going to trade Alex Verdugo out on Friday when they have a chance to, right? Like all of those little moves matter and you can make up some solid ground at the end just by staying diligent. So I think that the most important thing is it's a long season. I tend to think of fantasy baseball as like a marathon and fantasy football is like a sprint. Yep. Um, fantasy baseball is a very long season and you should treat the last four weeks of fantasy baseball season the same way you treated the first four weeks of fantasy baseball season. I'm absolutely with you on, on every point. You know, if you're in 15th and you have 47 roto points, then the season is over for you at this point. There's no need to, I mean, you still set your lineups just for the sake but of- But you can finish like, 14th instead of 15th. You can make the person yeah. who's in 14th have a bad day. That is true. That is true. There's always, and I think it's Spore who talks about this a lot. It's not always about winning the league necessarily. He talks, I think he's talked a few times this year about one of, I think it might be his main event where he was 15th the whole year and then he worked his way up to fifth or sixth. And that's rewarding in and of itself. You don't have to win the league. You stay competitive. You stay picking up players. You streaming two start pitchers or just good matchups or whatever it is. And you can actually make up some ground, not just because of, you know, the stand of the season, but I think the football thing is a huge factor. You might have a good team in your baseball league. You might have 120 roto points, but you're more of a football guy than a baseball guy. There are some guys that I have in my TGFBI league that are more football guys than baseball guys. And there's two people in the league who have literally not spent $1 a fab. 
and they're actually not doing terribly. They're like in sixth or seventh somehow because that's just the craziness of this game we play. You can jump over those people because they're not making moves. And that's obviously like kind of an extreme case. But even in your home league, there might be people who are more into football. There might be people who are just, you know, way out in front and they're being complacent. They're saying, I don't need to make any changes. This team has been successful. I don't need to make any moves. There's always moves to be making, whether it's stashing a Walker Bueller or it's picking up Josh Naylor, who's returned or whatever it is. There's always little moves you can be making, pick up hot players, drop the cold ones. And I think that's just really, it's not like there's nothing crazy complicated to it. It's not like there's some rocket science behind it. It's just doing the same things you've been doing all year and trying not to get into the mindset, like I said before. Like maybe if you're in 15th and you want to stop setting your lineups, then then you can. But there's always something you can do. There's always a little bit of ground to make up, at least most of the time. And even if there's not, you can still have some fun looking at your lineups on those days and looking back at the live scoring page and say, I hit six home runs today. I had Jose Altuve yesterday, three home runs and three innings. Like, that's fun, even if your team is not necessarily going to win. And maybe I'm just a sicko. And maybe even if my team's out of it, I'll still enjoy that kind of thing. Maybe the average person at that point doesn't care. But I think there's always some enjoyment you can get out of it, even if it's not going to be, you're not going to win the NFBC main event. Like, okay, you can still have some fun. You can still keep... uh, Keep competitive down the stretch and who knows you never know uh the guy in first might have you know strider and gosman and cole and they all might just get blown up for the last six starts of the season and just ruin you never you never know um so i think that's definitely key remaining competitive uh you know picking up players and not just sitting there and hoping for the best because you have to always be competitive uh in, in fantasy baseball fantasy everything really uh, but that's pretty much it for for our show sarah i really appreciate you joining me today it's been a lot of fun Oh, yeah, this has been an awesome conversation. And, you know, it's interesting. You were just talking about the players that you can leapfrog, the guys that don't realize what's going on. Think about the dudes who forgot that they had Jose Altuve on their bench because Altuve just came back from injury. You just missed all of those Altuve bombs. That's so sad. Don't do that to yourself. Make sure that you get the credit for all of the player moves that you can make. Five home runs in like 24 hours. <laughs> it's crazy. crazy. And that did help. I have him in that in that Arizona league. We did and it actually jumped me up a couple points. So, I, you know, it's just a <laughs> sure small, it did. It's just a small sample. But like even one guy hitting three home runs in one day, that can be a huge thing. And maybe you have three of those guys. Maybe you had Brandon Nimmo yesterday as well. And maybe you have you know, whoever it is and you got seven home runs. You can still compete. Uh, So just remain competitive down the stretch. I know I've used the word competitive a million times now. Uh, But Sarah, I do want to let you uh, remind everybody here one more time before you go where you can be found and all the great work you got going on. Oh, thanks so much. Uh, You can find me on Twitter or whatever we're calling that website these days at at BCB underscore Sarah. That's my handle pretty much on all of the socials. So whether you're like a Mastodon type or you're trying to do like Instagram or threads or whatever at BCB underscore Sarah, you'll find me pretty much everywhere with the exception of Blue Sky which hates underscores. And so I am at BCB Sarah there. Um, But that's the handle for all of the work. Uh, You can find my Cubs writing at bleedcubbyblue.com. You can find my podcasting on the fans for sports network, both for the Cubs show and for my fantasy show. And you can now find my fantasy analysis also at baseball HQ and sportstopia. So I think that I might be tapped out on bylines for a minute because this is, this is a lot. And I feel like I'm juggling quite a bit these days, but uh it's been a lot of fun to to delve into new little corners of research and whatnot. Oh, absolutely. And now we're about to have the long break. The long rest will come <laughs> uh, in October. And then we have one month until we're in Arizona, probably drafting again. Are you going to be back in Arizona this year? I will be. I'm looking forward to it. I actually uh, did my plane ticket for that earlier this week and already have my hotel reservation. So looking forward to seeing everybody at my second first pitch, Arizona. And if you've never been, just go. Just go. It's super fun. Like I was really nervous about not knowing people in person and I only know these people on the internet and also like the added, I'm going to be like one of the only women there and it's going to be super awkward and like, what's it good? And it was not awkward. Everybody was wonderful and lovely. You get to watch baseball in November. The fall stars game is incredible. If you've never watched a world series game with Nick Pollock, I cannot recommend it strongly enough. It was the most fun that I've had. I will come back anytime that I can. And yeah, so I'll be at, I will be in Arizona, uh, November 2nd through the 5th, if I recall correctly. Yeah. I'll be there again. Last year was also my first year and it was my first year in the industry making content. And I thought the hell with it, you know, I'll meet some cool people at worst. Maybe everybody ignores me. I had no idea what, what was going to happen. And then everybody is just amazing. You know, like you mentioned, Nick is probably the most welcoming, friendly person that there is in this space or any space. And there's just everybody. There's no there's nobody who goes down there just to, to have a bad time. Everybody is just you know having a couple of drinks, talking baseball, watching baseball. 
And the World Series thing, I was going to go to the Home Run Derby. I was sitting at the bar beside Nick, and there was somebody else there too. I can't remember. And I was like, okay, I'm, I'm going to get going. And Framber Valdez throws the first pitch of Game 6 of the World Series. And Nick goes, what? What? He just lost it. And I said, okay, I'm going to sit beside Nick, and I'm going to get his take from this. So, Nick, you are the reason I did not go to the Home Run Derby uh, to watch that. But it was absolutely worth it. That was a lot of fun, even though we were kind of all cheering for the Phillies. I think a lot of people were cheering for the Phillies in that bar. Uh, but the whole experience <laughs> is great. I was telling a, I was telling a friend about this today because I was like, I think that that's the most peak Sarah uh, sports viewing experience that strangers have ever had. Because the, if you recall correctly, the Notre Dame game was going on while Game Six of the World Series was going on. There was this moment where it's like a Notre Dame touchdown followed immediately by a Kyle Schwarber home run, and I definitely let loose a few swear words and totally lost it. And then like. I think 30 minutes later, uh, was it Zach Wheeler pitching that game or Aaron Nola? I can't remember. I think it was Zach Wheeler. I think it was Got Wheeler. pulled from the game and Nick Nick was just apoplectic. Like I just remember Nick pacing the hotel bar, like ranting about pulling. I swear it was Zach Wheeler, but it's probably Aaron Nola and I'm forgetting. Should look that up. I thought it was Wheeler too, but I just remember him having his hands crossed and he would just always like kind of just, I don't know, he was grumpy because the pitching Nick is obviously so he's so He's brilliant, man. He's brilliant. I've never met anybody, you know, just to pump Nick here a little bit, who you can just mention any random pitcher. It could be, you know, the fifth starter for the worst team in baseball, and he's going to know his whole repertoire. Yeah, he throws 92 on the sinker. He throws 87 on the curve. He's 83 on the changeup, and he's a little bit outside. It's like, how do you know this? How do you – I mean, it's because he, he focuses on it so constantly. But Nick is great. Everybody at Baseball HQ who puts it on, fantastic work there. I've been trying to convince a couple of the writers uh, for us here at Sports Ethos to get down to Arizona. I know it's not the cheapest weekend in the world. You're probably going to spend, like, I don't know, probably close to a thousand bucks depending on where you're coming from but it is absolutely worth it if you are able to make it out uh, but that'll do it for us go follow sarah over on twitter or x or whatever the hell it's called bcb underscore sarah you can find me at joe orico 99 and make sure you're checking out all of our daily content here at sports ethos we got podcasts we got articles news and notes polls all kinds of fun stuff here uh through the end of the regular season and then into the off season as well i uh, will have content for you guys there but that'll do it tomorrow we're going to talk about some hot players to be adding off the waiver wire but until then have a great night guys take care and cheers we'll see you tomorrow